Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of three issues for just £5. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome back to The Critic podcast. As Parliament heads into recess, politics isn't stopping. Graham Stewart and David Scullion discuss what we can expect in the coming weeks, from Brexit talks and the renewal of coronavirus legislation to the Lib Dem leadership election and who's likely to be fired in a coming reshuffle. Well, Parliament is in recess. Whether or not they'll be going to Spain, politicians are packing away their uh, shorts, their trunks, their buckets and spades for uh, what some of them at least will regard as a brief well-earned rest before uh, returning to Westminster in September. Uh, But what a first half of the year it has been to discuss what Parliament and politics has involved in the first half of this year and what's going to happen, what's going to brew over the recess. I'm joined by my critic colleague, David Scullion. Uh, David, it's fair to say that the first half of this year has been obviously and inevitably dominated by coronavirus and the big parliamentary event of that was the the passage in March of the Coronavirus Act. It gave British government the most sweeping curtailment of of civil liberties in this country really in, in peacetime since, since almost anyone can remember. Now it, the the, the new law has a sunset clause in two years' time, but uh, for an amendment, it has to be renewed by Parliament every six months. So in September, when Parliament returns, MPs will have a chance to vote on renewing the measures. Um, do you think over the recess, uh, politicians will be taking the temperature and deciding whether to challenge uh, the Act, or whether actually they're, they're quite happy to go along. And on this most massive of issues, this is the one issue where we can't expect a major backbench rebellion. Well, I think as they go home, they are going to um, have to uh, live with um, what the government have introduced. And it's interesting that one of the things, uh, one of the points that was made when uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg was getting MPs to vote uh, socially distance voting, where they had the huge uh, conga around um, the houses of Westminster and out outside as well. One of the points uh, somebody made was, well, they probably should keep this because they're forcing MPs to experience what the rest of the country are going through. And as MPs go uh, back into their constituencies and see uh, the impact of things like mask wearing in shops um, and have to do it themselves um, and see the impact that has on the high street. We don't know totally what impact that's having yet and whether the uh, that will inspire confidence or, or do the opposite, that they'll actually have to deal with it themselves, which I think probably is quite a good thing and could, uh, could switch them more towards being... Um, against some of these more draconian measures. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm interested in, in what kind of mailbags MPs are, are getting. It, it does seem to me that uh, the, the more libertarian response seems to have permeated the, uh, as it were, the liberal right of the Conservative Party, but, but not uh, the, the Lib Dems or, or the Labour Party. And so if there's going to be any kind of rebellion 
it's going to come on Tory backbenches and not elsewhere. Um, but, I mean, is there going to be a, a backbench of Boeing of, of any size? I mean, uh, Steve Baker is one of the MPs who, who voted in March for uh for the for the measure but but did so making clear he hated doing so and is clearly very uncomfortable with with much of it i mean if there's only going to be one or two mps um having lonely rebellions that then then clearly the coronavirus act is is going to stay on is going to is going to be renewed uh for a very long time to come Yes, I, I I don't foresee any kind of rebellion on this, uh, or any at least any successful rebellion. Uh, what the what Steve Baker and what the um, the European Research Group tapped into was just a wide, uh, pretty solidly angry, um, uh, responsive Brexit here, Brexit voters in the country, and and I don't think they can tap into the same kind of thing. The, everything seems to be tinged with, uh, well, safety first mentality. Why not? Why are you trying to kill your granny by not wearing a mask? I think it would be a lot harder to get that level of support that they did uh, during uh, Theresa May's tenure. So I don't see a rebellion coming. No, I don't. I mean, one of the interesting things is the role of the Liberal Democrats. And that may sound surprising. People may have forgotten there is still a, a Liberal Democrat party, but uh, th- there is. And indeed, uh, in August, next month, 27th of August, uh, there will be the results of their leadership election announced uh, between um, the the current acting leader, Ed Davey, and Leila Moran, have the Lib Dems missed a trick, do you think, in terms of not positioning themselves as the libertarian party of, of more personal freedom and personal responsibility in the same way that the Swedish uh, uh, Social Democrat and Green Coalition in, in, in Stockholm has done? Or actually, would that be so against their desire to uh, support the public sector in every way possible. It, it just the opportunity doesn't really present itself. I think the the opposition uh, parties in Britain seem to be split. There seems to be, um, you know, with uh, after Corbyn has gone, there seems to be a, now a split between the kind of woke opposition and the kind of more rational, uh, sensible pragmatic opposition and I think the Lib Dems seem to be firmly in the first category of, of woke and that seems to uh, chime well with their voter base I can't see them uh, pivoting so far towards a kind of libertarian uh, side it, it seems to have been it, 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 I, I imagine it will be so far from their voter base that it just won't work and I can't imagine uh, any of them I mean who's it Leila Moran and Ed Davey I, I can't see them going in that direction after the Lib Dems have been have been so woke no I mean I, I think um, if the Lib Dems want to play the wild card then perhaps electing Leila Moran is a more sensible prospect and, and you know it, it's not what most of the season watchers of the Lib Dems are expecting. Uh, they're expecting uh, Ed Davey to win. But uh, yeah, Steady Eddie is such a safe choice. It's hard to discern where he is different from Keir Starmer on, on so many clear issues. I, I sometimes think Leila Moran could uh, take a leaf out of Nigel Farage. I mean, not someone she would perhaps choose to, but reposition the Lib Dems if it's too much to ask as as a libertarian party, that then at least as a as a 
as a woke troublemaking party. Um, is there an opportunity for that there? Or really is Labour the only party in town there? And if so, I mean, I'm unclear whether we could describe Keir Starmer as woke or not. And perhaps that's part of his political genius. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, th- I think realistically, the only uh, unique selling point the Lib Dems could go down is going towards the kind of AOC uh, from the States, that that kind of woke agenda. I, I don't see them out Keiring Keir Starmer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. So, I mean, in essence, we're, we're saying that the, the Lib Dems are probably going to continue to be pretty marginal to uh, British politics for some time to come, whoever emerges as their... Uh, uh, leader in August, um, and really the the libertarian position, or or perhaps I would say more accurately, the classical liberal position, is going to be a segment within the Conservative Party. Uh, I'm wondering whether uh, that segment is going to manifest itself in the cabinet, though, as as distinct from the backbenchers. When David, you you look at the cabinet. Who do you see as someone who uh, has a, 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 a perhaps a non-consensual mind? Doesn't have to be necessarily be a, a classical liberal, but but someone who is generating uh, slightly alternative views and stimulating debate within the cabinet. Well, I think everybody. I think if you'd asked me this a, a few weeks ago, I would have said Pretty Patel. I think she was the great hope of. The anti-woke agenda. She was seen as a Thatcherite. Uh, she's been known to be pro-hanging before and very, very much a small C conservative. And there was a video going around on Twitter uh, of her statement uh, after the Wimrush scandal of her saying how she was dismayed that there were so many white people in her meetings everywhere she was. She was the only brown person there. She didn't add that she was the most powerful person in the room. Uh, but this has really dampened her credentials amongst uh, kind of red meat Brexiteers, small C conservatives. So I think probably now you'd have to look at someone, I think you'd probably say a, a Spartan, somebody who voted against Theresa May's Brexit deal every time, probably somebody more like uh, Suella Braverman. And she doesn't have a, a high public profile, being an, the Attorney General doesn't, she's not technically in the cabinet uh, and she has a slightly detached role from um from the cabinet uh, because of uh, her office. But I think you'd say somebody like her is, is does have more of those alternative viewpoints, um, has been a Brexit minister. Who would you say, Graham? Well, I, I think Swallow Braverman is is a, um, probably a very good uh, a, a very good bet. I, I don't see anyone on in the front rank of the cabinet assuming that mantle. Um, Michael Gove is a very interesting figure as always. Um, not only the you know the normal duties you you would expect him to have at the cabinet office, but he's become the 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 Mister Fix It of uh, of this government. Whether things are being fixed or not that that's that's his role uh absolutely frontline role for him in in the brexit negotiations which will uh carry on during this period of of recess with an expectation that if there's going to be a deal there'll be one in uh september or the latest october um uh, but but he's also charged with many other things you know the 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 the, the plumbing of government and uh and also um increasingly saving the saving the union from from westminster 
since it seems to be beyond the ability of the Scottish Conservatives to, to do it from Holyrood. Uh, he is someone of, of very wide-ranging uh, uh, gifts and intellect, but also someone who um, uh, colleagues uh, and rivals have difficulty pinning down. They, you know, they're never quite sure what he's going to do. Many Brexiteers are not, not entirely sure that, that he's on side, despite his very prominent role in the Vote Leave campaign during the referendum, and uh, you know, are, are wondering uh, what role is really going to be played with the, with the Northern Ireland Protocol, which, which uh, you know, potentially sabotages a, a, a lot of what a, you know, a Brexit settlement could involve. Um, I, I think beyond the, the cabinet, I mean, there, there are some interesting players. Um, Ian Duncan Smith, along with Bob Seeley, ha, have you know, uh, really emerged at the forefront on, on the Huawei issue and more broadly a sceptical approach to China. Uh, this sceptical approach to China is fast becoming uh, British foreign policy. Finally, Britain has got a foreign policy, something that we, we've had difficulty discerning for the last 20 years. And in that, they're, they're joined, of course, by, uh, by Tom Tugendhat, who, who comes from a, um, a certainly a, a different place in the Conservative Party than, than Ian Duncan Smith, uh, but nevertheless uh, brings uh, considerable uh, authority in, in the Foreign Affairs Committee. So, I mean, there, there are a number of very interesting players um, at work. I think as cabinet ministers and potential cabinet ministers go away for their summer recess, which ones do you think, David, will be going away with a sense that you know, normal business will resume for them uh, in September? And which might be thinking, you know, that there will be a, a cabinet reshuffle of some kind in the autumn. I'm in danger. Well, I think Grant Shapps has to be uh, named in this. He was the, uh, the the transport minister that found himself in, in Spain uh, as uh, rules were changed on quarantine, meaning that he is now having to come back early uh, to try and get the quarantine out of the way and actually get back to work. You know, it, it's just, I mean, you know, who knows whose fault it was, but he's got the same kind of air that Chris Grayling had, um, who who dominated the headlines as transport minister for being uh, rightly or wrongly a, a hapless minister who was bungling HS2 and, and transport across the the whole of the north of England. So I can't see Grant Shapps uh, be surviving for for very much longer after the next reshuffle. Uh, who who do you think we should be watching, Graham? Who, who do you think? I mean, we should very obviously be watching uh, Robert Jenrick, who uh, you know has. Has still so many questions to to answer over the 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 West Ferry Works d- development, uh, and uh, I think is looking very vulnerable. Um, Pretty Patel, the the report into alleged bullying, uh, from her has still that that report has still yet to be published. Uh, we'll see if there's anything damaging, in that or or not. Uh, but I, I, I sense she continues to enjoy the Prime Minister's confidence. And uh, if you remember earlier in, in the session, there was that extraordinary uh, um, uh, succession of uh, Labour uh, MPs, uh, um, uh, uh, various uh, people of colour who, who uh, took Pretty, Ta- Pretty Patel to task for talking about her own experience of racism because they, they argued that, that 
uh, you know, th- their understanding of, of racism was, was so much better. I, I, I felt that that extraordinary assault on her was um, utterly counterproductive. And, uh, you know, if any Conservative Prime Minister is going to stick by a Home Secretary in those kind of circumstances, I mean, surely, um, surely that, 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 that kind of intervention was almost designed to uh, um, uh, bring out uh, Boris Johnson's uh, more more protective side. Um, do do you sense that that on on Brexit there is a, a you know, just a, a, I mean is is there room for rebellion there? Let let let's for a minute assume two scenarios. Uh, one that that in the in the autumn the talks break down irretrievably, and. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, the term no deal isn't quite correct, but but it, it, it's popularly understood uh, and that we'll be trading on WTO terms uh, from the beginning of next year. How, how do you see that playing uh, in, in, in Parliament? And, and secondly, the alternative, which is there is a deal, but it's a deal which is much closer to uh, Michel Barnier's position, uh, which is to say it, it involves a, a lot of conformity on, on regulation uh, and um, some system for a, a fisheries policy which, which is um, um, closer to the, the common fisheries policy than it is to uh, uh, allowing us to have full control and decision-making over our own territorial waters. So uh, closer to that position that, than, than the, uh, the government's position as, as laid out by, by their chief negotiator, David Frost. Um, I think when the Brexiteer MPs were rebelling um, in Theresa May's government, uh, they, were, they were drawing on a huge amount of support from the rest of the country who saw Theresa May as, a, as the, the death of Brexit, leading us into Brexit in name only. And MPs like Steve Bates who have a remain uh, a remain heavy constituency was drawing very heavily on that because he's lost vote share in the last uh, few elections. This time, uh, people have uh, Brexiteers and people who are really exercised by this, who 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 comment below the line in in, in newspaper articles and on Twitter. Um, a lot of them uh, fully support Boris. Uh, now that's slightly decreased. But generally, they think he's on their side. Generally, they any kind of um, pessimistic take on it, saying that he's trying to sell us out, they generally respond pretty angrily. I just don't see with with an 80 strong majority and with uh, people generally supporting Boris Johnson, there's going to be a rebellion. That's not to say Boris Johnson won't sell us out. Uh, he's, he's essentially got Theresa May's deal and seems full steam ahead with the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is going to um, split Northern Ireland off from the rest of the, the UK and could potentially keep the whole of the UK subject to uh, state aid rules, which would basically mean the European Court of Justice would rule over it. So that's not to say... Um, he's not selling out Brexit, but I think the public perception is so far from the idea he's selling out Brexit that had had gradually developed with Theresa May that it would be very hard for these MPs um, to put up much of a fight and certainly not to get the kind of numbers that they'd need. Uh, they'd need 40 MPs um, uh, to mount any kind of successful uh, rebellion. Uh, so I just don't see it. What, what's your take on the uh, the issue, Graham? Well, I think that uh, you know, the question is, if he wanted to, um, Boris Johnson could could achieve what uh, Theresa May didn't achieve uh, and push through a, an Ollie Robbins style 
uh, uh, deal. The question is, does he want to do that? Uh, and uh, uh, I don't think he ideally wants to do that. I mean, if he did, he would have stayed as, as Theresa May's foreign secretary. Um, and, um, you know, Theresa May would, uh, would either still be prime minister or, or would have lost a general election to, to Jeremy Corbyn in, in our uh, counterfactual uh, world. Um, it, it, it really depends whether uh, the prime minister can be persuaded that uh, a, a deal, any kind of deal, is better than, than trading on WTO terms. And um, if he's open to that persuasion, uh, he, he's very good at not showing it in public. I suppose it partly depends on whether he's paying attention, because Michael Gove, the man who seems to be uh, the highest ranking politician, apart from Boris Johnson, involved in Brexit, he's he's involved in no deal planning. Um, he said, even when Boris Johnson uh, became prime minister, that, he, that he'd still be happy to vote for uh, Theresa May's deal. So, so you've in, in Michael Gove, you've not got the, the same kind of... Um, person seeking this the kind of brexit that brexiteers expect to be which is to um, be totally free from european court of justice rules you won't get the same thing that happened when dominic raab was foreign secretary and he had to uh, jet off to brussels at a moment's notice to stop ollie robbins uh, signing a deal uh, so i think there's a, a method of there's a, a point of concern there boris johnson seemed to be someone who uh, at city hall when he was mayor of london is just to let people get on with it and be a good delegator now since he's delegated to um, michael gove i think there's, there's a real danger there that the things will happen without him even um, being aware of it well, I mean, there's a question of Michael Gove, which which was the real Michael Gove, the, the Michael Gove who was uh, happy to vote for Theresa May's deal, or or the, the Michael Gove who's secretly relieved that that didn't happen, uh, but doesn't feel he could then, having said he would have voted for Theresa May's day, Theresa May's deal, now admit that you know that the whole deal had had been uh, absurd. Um, we we will find out shortly. We will also, of course, Michael Gove is, is an MP very focused on maintaining the union. He is a conservative and unionist, uh, not just in the Scottish perspective, but also uh, with Northern Ireland and, and the protocol uh, in um, House of Lords uh, uh, committee uh, evidence. Uh, Michael Gove said he was uh, very much open to renegotiating the Northern Ireland uh, protocol. However, we, we've seen no evidence that that protocol is being uh, renegotiated or, or even that there's any effort to do so. And that protocol is obviously going to be absolutely central to the, the push-pull uh, that, is, that is coming as to whether to uh, agree a, a deal or not. Uh, I want to end uh, moving away from the government and, and crossing to the other side of the floor to the opposition uh, for many people, the, the star of the show these last few months has been the new leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer. Uh, if he's done anything, he has asserted his authority as, as leader of, of the Labour Party. Um, momentum, which seemed to be the maker and breaker of, of leaders until the end of last year, is, is licking its wounds at the moment. We'll see to what extent it, it, it can fight back. But um, I, I thought a real moment was uh, Starmer's sacking of Rebecca Long-Bailey 
uh, after she she liked a tweet by uh, the, the 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 actress Maxine Peake. Um, you know, it, it was a tweet transgression, but one that one suspects the Labour leader could have tolerated if he'd if he'd really wanted to keep her. And now, of course, with the uh, the uh, attempt to uh, uh, settle in court uh, um, on the on Panorama and, and other payments, it's very clear that that Keir Starmer wants to draw a line under the whole uh, anti-Semitism debate. He he's he's you have to hand it to him. He is taking control of his party. What can he do with that power? Well, I think one of the most recent opinion polls showed that Keir Starmer had a higher popularity rating. Uh, far higher than the Labour Party in general. He's still got, uh, I think it's almost a quarter of MPs are Corbynistas that were that were elected under the last regime. So I don't see how he can have full control over his party. There's still a, a, a big remnant, uh, well, a, a greater a, a proportion of MPs now are far left. Um, but in terms of just exercising control over his party, sure, he did uh, He did a good job and he showed a lot of confidence, but it's whether or not he can um, he can be a kind of opposition leader that can get himself into number 10. If you look at the kind of rhetoric that uh, people on the left, uh, like in America, Barack Obama uh, and uh, Tony Blair in, in 97, um, their rhetoric is so different from Keir Starmer's managerial, loyally, rhetoric it's very hard for him to articulate what he actually believes and it's also even harder uh, in the current climate that we're in where where any kind of um, language of inclusiveness where you talk about the country as a whole is is interpreted by a section and will be interpreted by a section of his MPs as uh, a terrible thing to have said um, you know if, if you look at Barack Obama's um, one of Barack Obama's um, very early speeches uh, that enabled him to become a senator. He was talking about the fact that there's no black America, there's no white America, there's just the United States of America. You can't say that kind of thing anymore uh, because you know the, the identity politics, the Black Lives Matters movement and the, the wokery has stopped you being able to get away with uh, saying that kind of thing anymore on the left. So I think you'll find it very hard to, uh, to, to get very far without using um, uh, kind of uh, soaring rhetoric that you'd have you'd have seen in, for in the past. Well, um, we look at the the opinion polling at, at the moment, and the the Conservatives still have quite a good lead, uh, depending on which poll you look at, somewhere between six uh, percent and ten percent. That's obviously down from their high point at the uh, uh, in in the middle of March. Um, but it's only a little down from the general election, and it, it's really still very good figures compared to to anything uh Theresa May could have could, could have could have hoped for um it, it seems to me that the that the government is is still in quite a secure position uh you know, despite everything that's happened in recent months but that there there is so much to come uh when parliament returns in September uh the denouement on on Brexit uh, uh, and uh, particularly the, the end of the furlough scheme and potentially mass unemployment to follow. That is a debate uh, to be picked up uh, in the autumn. But for now, uh, David, enjoy the summer recess and uh, we'll be back to discuss more politics soon. Thanks. Good to talk to you.
If you've enjoyed listening to The Critic Podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the offer of three issues for just £5 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.